personal coach and trusted attorney, Andrew Leaf, who will help you get started in building your real estate empire. Grow your self-confidence, find your grit, and get the skills needed to dominate the real estate world. This is Real Estate Investing with Andrew Lieb. Welcome back to the Liebcast. It's Lauren Lieb, Andrew Lieb, and our friend Gary Cocolari, who's a member of the Upper West Siders for Safer Streets. And Gary, before the break, pointed out, and I agree with him, it's an issue about safety it's an issue about drugs. It's not necessarily an issue of homeless people. And Gary, so eloquently, and I, I'm with you, Gary, we've had homeless people in New York City for years. That's not the issue. So, Gary, tell me what the issue is. Again, the issue is that the people that they're putting in there, many of them, as I've mentioned before, have mental issues. They're emotionally disturbed. And they're dangerous to themselves. They're dangerous to people in the neighborhood. We've had many incidents of them coming up and getting very aggressive with people harassing them, threatening them, and making disgusting comments. One guy, one mother was walking down the street with her children, and the guy came up and said, I want to F you. I mean, how would you like that if that happened to one of your kids or your mother? Well, my mother's a little naughty, but I'm not going to go. No, no I'll just play. So, <laughs> Lord, this doesn't like that. So anyway, before we were going, you gave a few solutions. You said that we need an, a robust police presence. I like that. You said that we need a cap per neighborhood. It's not just the Upper West Side, it's per neighborhood. And we need to proportionally put out the homeless people into the different shelters that they need to be. And those were some of your solutions. What other solutions do you have, Gary? Well, on the more immediate front, because again, this is, we're talking about a solution uh, that's, that's going to, a solution, a longer, it's a problem that's going to require a longer term solution. Immediately, one thing they could do is we've got Javits Center there collecting dust. Well, so, and you know, interestingly sent- about the Javits Center, that was put there to help with COVID-19. And if there's that second wave that everybody is talking about and the hospitals are overflowed. What are we going to do yeah. then? Like what happens well, if in the, the fall? I, I, thought, I actually have thought about that. And uh, firstly, uh, there's Javits Center, if I'm not mistaken, is almost 2 million square feet of space. They had that uh, facility retrofitted to accommodate, I believe, 1,000 COVID beds. And that is a real concern, that there is a relapse. So my guess is in 1.8 million square feet, you might be able to carve out an area someplace that's the size of the Lucerne, the Bel Nord, and the Bel Claire. So yes, it's, it, there would have to be a contingency plan. But the thing about Javits, it's, it's, in a, it's in a relatively isolated area, and it's free. Just to be clear, so you're saying of the 139 commercial hotels being used in the city, we should only re- be re- relocating three of the hotels from the Upper West Side to the Javits Center? Well, I can't put out all the fires. Okay. I'm, I'm talking about my immediate problem, so, immediate problem in my neighborhood. And I don't know whether it, could, it probably couldn't accommodate all those people, but it's one thing that could be done to accommodate these people, and I think relatively, uh, relatively quickly. So according to the because, city— by the way, there's we're te- being told by the city mm-hmm. that this is temporary. I don't know what they mean by temporary. It could mean anywhere between now and the end of time as we know it. But if it's, temp- if it's truly temporary, my guess is that Javits Center is not going to have a convention this year and maybe well into next year. So if their idea of temporary is three to six months, that should dovetail very nicely. So what I want to do now, because we just mentioned about we don't know about the city, and the city has said, just so you know, that there's 10,000 individuals in these type of shelters around the city. But I want Lauren to give the city a chance, and she's going to read the official statement that they gave us from the city and give you a chance to comment on that as well. Okay, so this is a statement by Ariana Fishman, who's the spokesperson from the New York City Department of Social Services, Department of Homeless Services. 
We requested comment before the show because we like to give everyone a perspective when we're talking about ethics and discussions that are so high value like this. What did Ariana have to tell us? Okay. Since the outset of this crisis, we've followed the science and the health experts temporarily relocating thousands of vulnerable New Yorkers citywide for their safety. And the data shows these decisive strategies over the past five months have worked, saving lives and stopping the spread of a deadly virus. With more than 98% of all the cases we have experienced since March are now resolved, recovered. Our whole city is navigating this unprecedented situation together, and our emergency use of commercial hotels ensures New Yorkers experiencing homelessness continue to receive the same protections from the pandemic as New Yorkers fortunate enough to distance at home right now. It is An undeniably challenging time, physically, emotionally, psychologically, and more, for our city and for our New Yorkers, regardless of housing status, with the New York and national economy struggling severely and unemployment high across all groups of people, types of professions, and walks of life. For those New Yorkers who are currently experiencing homelessness, our staff and provider partners are doing extraordinary and vital work caring for New Yorkers in need under extraordinary and difficult circumstances. And as members of the community, we intend to be good neighbors, engaging openly and making this the best and safest experience it could be for these individuals as they get back on their feet. Gary, what do you got to say? Well, I think it was a well-crafted statement. Um, I would expect them to come up with uh, some excuse for their behavior. Um, if they, you mentioned uh, the uh, COVID situation, well, I don't know how congregating these people in a hotel like this in close quarters and also seeing them, I've visibly seen them in front of the Lucerne and, and on corners where they've congregated, and they're not wearing masks. So and they're not only not wearing masks, they're walking up to people and shouting at them. So how is this helping with the prevention of COVID? So that, that, there's a little bit of a problem there. And the other thing that they've done, and uh, in other statements, like from people from Helen Rosenthal, is they've tried to label us as uh, NIMBYs, privileged, racist, and things, you know, names like that. And uh, it's just not true, especially when you have one of the most liberal bastions in the, in the world on the Upper West Side. So it, I would expect them to be on the defensive because they know their action is inappropriate. I hear you. I hear you. So, and I'm with you about this mask thing. I don't know if I think the Biden campaign said something about if they're elected, they want to have national masks because I, I, I don't know if you know, Gary, I have a master's in public health and I'm a big fan of preventing disease spread. So I stay six feet from everyone. I was antisocial to start off with. So that's a whole nother story for a whole nother day. But Gary, what I want to know, and I don't know if you've contemplated this, you've told us that 34% is how much we're seeing some apartments depreciate. And as Lauren and I know in the real estate world, some people only put down 20% to start off with. So what are we going to see as a ramification across the Upper West Side where we used to have affluent, beautiful properties? What's the end result of this impact on the community by devaluations? Well, you know, this is deja vu all over again. Because I remember back in the early 90s when we had a real estate crisis as a result of a, a couple of things. It was, had to do with overbuilding and there was a liquidity crunch. And, and, that, and this happened to me. I saw the apartment that I bought on the Upper West Side drop in value by about 40%. I was upside down on my mortgage. I was underwater. 
We're now approaching a situation where if you bought an apartment at the height of the market in the past five years, and you use, let's say, 70 75% loan-to-value to buy that apartment, you might be approaching that water level right now. So, so you've got people – and by the way, not everyone on the Upper West Side is a millionaire. Most, the large majority of them are working people that put together their life savings to buy their apartments. And if you did it in the last couple of years, you may have seen those life savings go out the window. And by the way, you could understand, you, you, we've seen a situation before, going back again to the early 90s, where it destabilized cooperatives throughout the city. And it becomes a, um, it becomes a vicious cycle. So it's, it's very important that we try to stabilize proper property values. So let me talk about that, Gary. So let's assume we stabilize, stabilize property values. Let's assume we take your advice and let's forget about the other hundred and whatever other hotels. And there's the only three that are holding it. And let's assume that the city elected officials are listening. De Blasio's listening. Hi, de Blasio. And he says, the Javits Center, I'm going to do what Gary says. Gary says the Javits Center. And let's assume this magically happens. What do you envision is going to happen to these soon-to-be vacant hotels that are no longer making money on the Upper West Side? Well, it's a problem because, uh, well, first of all, COVID is, a, I'm not, let's, let's, let's be um, candid. COVID is part of the problem as well. But I'm hoping COVID is going to go away eventually, whether it's in the next month or, or next year. I'm just hoping it's going to go away for all of our good. So what you're suggesting is if COVID went away, then the hotels would be able to rebook and then they wouldn't have a problem. But isn't what the Department of Homeless Services is saying is that they placed people in the hotels temporarily because of COVID in the first place? Well, yeah, but if that's assuming. Well, let's let's step back a second. COVID ends. You'd have to take the homeless people out of the equation if you want to revive tourism, for instance. I remember the Lucerne. It was filled with European and, and Asian tourists. It was a very nice property. I don't think those Asian tourists are going to want to come there if there's, if there's 280 homeless people living in the building. So it's, it's – and I understand that there's a problem with the hotels. They, all the hotels in New York are empty. Well, that's and why they're guys, doing these contracts, just to be clear. So my family was I in the hotel that. industry, and most hotels, when they go into these problems and they can't fill demand, they contact Department of Social Services. And just so any hotel owner out there knows, if you go on to the New York City Department of Homeless Services website, they actually tell you how to make a contract with them and to fill your hotel, which might be better than being bankrupt. That's all I'm going with this, Gary. Like, I don't, I don't know the answer to it. But I guess what we're discussing today is there aren't good solutions. There's just lots of problems. No one wants to be homeless. Well, I think they have to look at a longer-term solution. And as I said, if you, if you extend out these numbers, and I, again, I don't know the exact numbers on the contracts. I'm making a, a high, an assumption here. But if you assume that it's, if you kept these, these men, just these 500 men, let's forget about the rest of them, in this shelter for a year, it could cost upward of $64 million. Gary, I'm going to have to cut you off because we're almost out of time. And what I want to say to everyone is that it's a very expensive problem. And I'm glad you segued that way. And I'm going to tell you two ways that you could contribute because no matter what the solution is, it's a major problem that everyone has to deal with. On one note, you could go to the Department of Homeless Services website and they say you can put money, you could donate money to the Homeless Trust Fund. And they tell you that you want to make a donation to DHS Homeless Trust Fund and you'll send it to them at the Office of Public-Private Partnerships at 33 Beaver Street, 13th floor, New York, New York, New York. 10004. On the other hand, we have the West Side Community Organization. They have a West a website. It's westsideco.org and they have a donate button over there. Gary, you've been so helpful in us understanding this problem and what I've understood from this problem is that no matter what we do, we're in an ethical conundrum. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. Thanks so much. 
is Real Estate Investing with Andrew Lieb. Find us on social media at Listen to Lieb or visit listentolieb.com.